Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning and welcome to Talk Money. We have a program designed this morning to kind of help you with tax planning. You know, it's December and whether you're thinking, as we talked about last week, we talked about gift planning, and now we're going to kind of dive into some of those things you should do, you can do, and uh, we want to give you some encouragement to do the things as far as... uh, tax planning and ideas behind that. Tommy Armstrong, Keith Quinn are my guests today. We're going to be going through that process. Keith's going to help us understand why the rally. I mean, you know, if we had been talking to Keith prior to the presidential election, it would have been a, you know, um, hold on, you know. I don't know that that's true, but. (laughs) But, well, yeah, let's say, guys, welcome to the program, Keith Quinn and Tommy Armstrong. Thank you. Glad to be here. Good morning, Jim. All right, guys. Now, let me, let's, let's kind of, kind of dive into this a little bit. Right. Just just help me set it up because would you have, I mean, I know you wouldn't have. None of us would have. None of us would have. Exactly. That, That we would have seen the type of rally with the market at this point. And, you know, we, of course, week before last, a little bit of maybe a little bubble there, maybe that didn't kind of quite do what we thought, but it seems to getting more traction. Why? Keith? Well, I think we're getting more traction. And again, I think it's people being a little bit optimistic that finally, after all these years of not really seeing a lot come out of Washington, we can get some reform done on the fiscal policy side. You know, that's when you say the fiscal policy side, not, not only that, but I mean, reality is it's it's like this guy's not a political person. He is strictly making the country great again. It, it is really playing pretty well. And again, I think people are very optimistic about it. They see the opportunity. And, you know, as Bob Dahl said to us back in the in the summer, if you could have a little bit of fiscal policy reform, a little bit of regulatory reform, you know, Bob estimated that that could add as much as a percentage point yeah. to GDP growth. Yeah. These are big numbers. And I think the market is kind of responding to the reality that not only do we have a Republican president, but we have a Republican majority in the Senate, a Republican majority in the House. And regardless of whether you're a Democrat or Republican, what we have is a unified government that seems committed to doing a little bit of fiscal policy reform, something we just haven't seen. We Something that uh, has been kind of in the uh, murk and the mire of politics and just not, not, you're exactly right, just not a focus to get things moving. And that's why we've had one of the longest, if not the longest recovery that we've ever seen. Since 2008, the only game in town has really been monetary policy, and that's been the Federal Reserve. And the Fed's done an awful lot. You could argue whether they've propped up the stock market, whether they're a little bit responsible through the massive quantitative easing program uh, that we went through with some of the returns that we've had over the last several years. But adding that fiscal policy onto an economy that is not weak. So the economy is still growing, and I think that's key, too. The last estimate for GDP growth in the third quarter was 3.2%. So 
so President-elect Trump is inheriting an economy that is fairly strong, and you add on some of these stimulative measures on top of that, and I think a lot of people see that this could really take off a little bit. Is he the different guy that he was prior to the election? I think he's exactly the same guy, but I think the key is the 51 senators. Now okay. we can we can actually put legislation on the president's desk, the conservatives can, uh, and get some things and get signed some things in the law. Done. Yeah, you're right. Well, we want to say thank you to all of the veterans that we were celebrating the 75th, the 75th celebration of Pearl Harbor this past this past Wednesday. And, right. you know, reality is I've been to the Arizona. Um, I can only tell you it is a it is a awesome, awesome experience to stand there, realize that was, of course, the day in infamy. infamy. And the reality is uh, it was a great moment in time to listen, to think and just pause and say we are. A great country. We are a great country. And one of the things that I remember in, in listening to some of the veterans is you you forget how young these guys were. These are 17 oh, and 18-year-old kids yeah. that went out and fought and won a world war. Wow. Well, stay with us when we come back. Tommy Armstrong, tax planning, tax planning, year-end tax planning, CPA, and, and the CFP. So we got a smart folks. So stay with us when, when we come back. A uh, lot more of Talk Money on KWAM 990. Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, and Tommy Armstrong are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs. It's what we do. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes Store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Uh, this portion of Talk Money is brought to you in part by the Bailey Law Firm, estate planning, elder law, and probate. Planning for all generations, the Mac Bailey Law Firm. We thank them for being a sponsor of the program. Tommy Armstrong, uh, my guest, you know, you're you're kind of a smart guy. I'm going to have to just, you know, I'm actually blessed today to be in the presence of two very smart people. And so I want you guys to just take the show. I'm actually going home, you know, because you guys, <laughs> you guys could do this. The reality is you guys know a lot about what we're going to be talking about. Some things about the year end and the market and the sure. sector. Keith, I know you just dive into that, can carry on a great conversation, and you know a lot. And Tommy, you, Tommy, you are a, you know, as I said, a CPA, CFP. Reality is, you know what we need to be doing at this time of the year when it comes to tax planning. So as I set you up for this, you know, here's the idea. Is tax planning really necessary at this time of the year? Well, the answer is always going to be yes. Yes, I get it. Uh, and, and why I believe tax planning is necessary not only in December, but at various times throughout the year is just from a planning standpoint, if a financial services client came to the planning office or the tax office, either one, and told us they were going to spend one quarter or one third of their income in a particular area, 
in the next year, the next two years, the next three years, we would sit down and we would put a pencil to it and we would plan that expenditure. We would try our best to figure out the best way to do that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Uh, That's just financial planning 101. We know it's coming. Let's plan our way around it. So so you're saying in reality there is the planning side of it is not just letting it happen. Don't just say, okay, I got to pay taxes. Well, exactly. You do something about it. Taxes are, you know, one of the two certainties that we can deal with and, and, uh, uh, you know, death and taxes. Uh, from my standpoint, we want to plan that tax uh, tax expenditure, uh, hopefully for the purpose of shaving a few dollars off of it, making it worth our time, saving some taxes now, or saving some taxes later. Later, okay. Or if we've determined we've done all we can do, we at least know what the tax component of the financial plan is, and we can go to the rest of the components of the financial plan and make the most of what we've got left. You know what I'm hearing, Keith, as he says that is that, uh, and I know this from Tommy's working with Tommy a lot right. with our clients is Tommy doesn't like surprises. Uh, I could see that. And so, <laughs> so thank from you, a, From a CPA's perspective, he's literally saying, "Let's plan it. Let's don't let it just happen. Let's think it through. Let's make so be uh, intentional you know, about it." Yeah, it, right. Be intentional. So, Tommy, I guess it, you know is. Is how is my income? Let's kind of help our listeners get this point. How is my income taxed? Let's think about that because I'm talking about fundamentals here. Well, exactly. the the uh, The starting point for income tax planning is to understand uh, once you get past the point that your income will be taxed, and you and you get over that, and you try to move on. There are there are three choices that the government can take with the income that they ask you to report. It is either taxable today, right now, and they're going to get their cut. It's either taxable later, and they will get get what they think they're entitled to uh, at a later date, or uh, the the bucket which makes it helpful for us to be involved is the tax-free bucket. But you've only got three choices. It is either tax now, tax later, or tax not at all, and that's why we need to be intentional about determining What's in the bucket? When's it going to be there? And what can we make out of it? And, you know, when you talk about those three, right. I mean, most of us think, well, okay, taxable, I get it, a tax deferred, um, and then tax-free. You know, I guess I'm thinking, I'd want all mine to be tax-free, Tommy. Tax-free sounds pretty good. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, and I can't do that, right? My no. ordinary income is going to be taxable. Tax-deferred. Give me an example of tax-deferred. Well, a tax uh, a tax defer an example of tax deferred income would be your four hundred one k retirement plan, where you are allowed to reduce your salary now, put a portion of that into a an investment an investment that is in the market. And, and I understand what you're saying. I mean, right. and then when you pull that money out, it will be taxed later. Okay. We will defer it today. We will pay tax later. Okay, and that could be ten, fifteen, twenty years later. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Well, I love the idea of that, of investing dollars that haven't been taxed. It's just it's leverage. And then tax-free, would that be municipal bonds and something like that, Tennessee bonds or something that we could do that would be an income but tax-free? Is there a a interest earned on a a municipal bond is not taxed today. Uh, Another example of tax-free income is a 
proper use of uh, cash value coming out of a life insurance Okay, policy. you know, so knowing how to use that and to properly use that and set that up. All right, um, I want to talk about capital gains because capital gains, I used to think capital gains was set. You know, it's 20% or 15%. Right, right. You know. It's not. the Your income can drive capital gains, you know, to a higher level, you know, the a higher level as we see some people go. So help me with capital gains. Explain to our listeners, Tommy, the capital gain mentality and why capital gain, short-term and long-term, why it's important to know the difference. Okay, a couple of quick fundamentals here. Uh, when we talk about capital gain income, uh, capital gains are generated by the sale of the, the purchase holding and the sale of an investment asset such as a mutual fund, bond, stock, uh, or, even, or even real estate. Uh, this is contrasted against where you go to work and you get a paycheck, you get a W-2 at the end of the year. That is ordinary income uh, where you go and you, you work, at, work at your trade and you get a paycheck and that's, that's taxed as ordinary income. That is different from capital gain income, which is where you buy and sell assets for the purpose of making a profit. Mm. And the key that we need to understand between an ordinary income and a capital gain income is that right now the structure of the tax code gives us lower rates for capital gain income than it does for ordinary income. Would you would now holding the long the length of time that you hold an investment is critical to getting where that's called long term gains or short-term gains. And I've seen people make mistakes thinking it didn't make any difference. So help us understand the difference with that. Okay. We've identified the difference between ordinary ordinary income tax rates and capital gains tax rates. Capital gains tax rates are triggered when you have purchased and held and then possibly sold an investment for longer than one year and one day. If you buy and sell investments inside that one-year period, that is a short-term capital gain, and it will be taxed just like any other earned income of going to work and getting a W-2. So to get the benefit of capital gains rates on an investment, we're talking about something you have, some, some investment that you have purchased and held and then sold after a holding period of one year and one day. Mm, okay. So you just tuned in. My guest today, Tommy Armstrong, also at the office, and Keith Quinn, a frequent guest of ours. And we're talking about, you know, kind of going through this whole idea behind year-end tax planning and why we're doing it, getting kind of Keith's update on what he thinks the market's looking like. But it's uh, it's it's about tax planning. It's about the whole idea behind do I do planning. And we've kind of established the fact is don't have any surprises don't let it just happen. Do some planning. Know the difference between long-term gains and short-term gains. Know the difference between taxable, tax-deferred, and tax-free. Those are important, important thoughts from that standpoint. Let me ask you this, Keith. We talk about tax-loss harvesting. I, right. I, and, and, okay, now I just said tax-loss Harvesting now. Let me, I, let number me, one, I never run across losses when I'm so, but so I don't really know how that works. But yeah, okay, there goes sounds, the credibility like of it, this program. Like yeah. No, tax law because some people don't even think about that, and that is a part of the planning process. And from your chair, absolutely, you it is. work that, and you deal with that a lot. And last year, we spent an inordinate amount of time 
working with clients, going through the process of saying, how much tax loss harvesting do we need to do? Explain that to us. Sure. So if you have an investment, as Tommy said, you know, if we have an investment that has a gain, then we're going to have to pay taxes on that gain. So if we have $100,000 and we turn around and sell it for $110,000, we've got a 10% gain, but we're going to have to pay taxes on that 10%. Whether it's ordinary, if you do it within well, a year, depending on when long term, exactly. if it's okay. All right. right. But then if it's only worth $90,000 and I turn around and sell it and I'd paid $100,000, now I've got a $10,000 capital loss. That capital loss can go to offset my capital gains in the same calendar year. So now if I had my $10,000 gain and I could offset that with my $10,000 loss, then I won't owe any capital gains tax on that. So it's another way that you can look at investment planning. If you can liquidate an investment that you were going to replace through periodic rebalancing and you can realize that gain, there's some definite advantages from a tax planning standpoint. And people forget that that is a part it of is. our job. It's a part of their job of being sensitive to it. I was meeting with someone just recently, and, you know, you, you talk about this, and, and they were going through this th- thought with me, and they said, well, you know, last year we did this. And I said, yeah, and I don't think we're going to do that as much this year. Well, they said, well, it really saved a lot of money last year. Most of the time, people understand what you're doing if you walk them through it on a systematic basis, right. and they say, okay, I get that. I took that 10000 using your example, 10000 loss, and applied it against something that had and it was a good wash. So, Tommy, from that perspective, I get to put out that on my tax return, and it, it helps me, correct? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and and the key the key benefit to to having the capital gains in the tax return or capital losses is that they do reduce your overall tax burden. Yeah. Inside inside that tax return, and as I said earlier, uh, the tax code as it is currently structured is capital gains come in at a lower rate, uh, lower tax rate than ordinary income rates. Okay. All right, guys, I got a question for you. Go ahead. Well, I would say this, and, and, you know, sometimes we find clients that are reluctant to realize these gains. You know, nobody wants to write a check to the IRS, but think about what you're doing. You are realizing a gain mm-hmm. uh, in the investment world. That's always our optimum <laughs> right. outcome. That's we want good. you to have gains. So, right. so don't be afraid of realizing those, those gains because that's the way you, you lock in your performance. And so when you realize that gain, you try to, you try to balance that with a loss. Exactly. And, and that's just what we call when we say tax loss harvesting. All right. Let me ask you this, guys, and then we'll take a break in a few minutes. Here's, here's the thought. With President-elect Trump and his anticipation or maybe his expectation of lowering Obviously, he's talking about corporate. Do you think he's also going to lower our personal tax brackets? I'll just start with you, Tommy. Your, give me your thoughts on that, and then we'll let Keith take us to the end. <laughs> so, on a, on a very generic level of uh, tax policy guesswork, if you that's pretty that's a CPA talking it yeah, yeah I think it is yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Tax, good morning tax good morning policy. good morning glad to be here. yeah, yeah. Uh, he's but, hedging a little bit there yeah, yeah. Little. well but but that's where we started uh, that's by the where way we you st- and I'll talk about something totally different yeah, right. yeah. you know but that but that's where we started we've had past eight years where the only thing uh, working out of Washington is the executive order pen yes instead of a full legislative functioning of a constitutional government. Uh, what you have now is that if uh, if tax policy is changed and President-elect Trump is successful in lowering the corporate tax rates, that does 
make you think that there might have to be a corresponding increase in individual tax rates okay, so to I'll, make up for that. that I, that's out there. Now, that okay. it, it may or may not happen that way. The spread of, uh, by, by compressing the individual tax rates, we should be able to at least keep it neutral, but just do the math. If you lower the tax rates on one group of people, which is the corporations, <laughs> you may get in a situation of having to raise it on others. And individual tax rates are at their lowest historical level in, in our lifetimes. They're in the lowest historical level. I don't feel that. I, feel, I don't feel that either. So, but, that's a very pessimistic but, view. <laughs> no, I think that's job security. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, that is true. I mean, that's all that is. is you know, he knows starting in January, he'll be busy. <laughs> and I don't know that it's necessarily, I don't think Tommy's pessimistic. I think perhaps I'm a little too optimistic. Okay, and, tell, and tell me what you got. Yeah, I think he's going to be able to lower the individual tax rates as well. I think they're going to be able to reform the tax code to make it a little bit simpler. Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, was talking about reforming the corporate tax code from 35% down to at least 20. 20? But the key thing he said was making it revenue neutral. Now, I don't know exactly how they do that, but I know I trust Paul Ryan. So if they could actually do that and have some of these things revenue neutral, I'm exactly, uh, you know, I'm on the same page with Tommy. You've got to offset the, the lower revenue, whether you cut spending or do something else. Even a little deficit spending on the front end of this wouldn't be a bad thing. We're close to $20 trillion on the debt. I know we've got to address that. But guess what? If we get this economy moving. Really uh, moving. Really moving. Not, not sluggishly moving. I mean, we've talked about, you know, the, 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 the last three, four, five years, we've talked about an economy that was grinding. Grinding, to, yes. Know, and, and the plow so, horse economy, I, right. think, I yep. think Bob Dahl yep. said to yep. us. Yeah. So if we could actually get that in the new Secretary of Treasury, the nominee for the Secretary of Treasury, Mnuchin, Steve Mnuchin, he had talked about 3 to 4% GDP growth. He sure did. Now, saying 4% GDP growth with a straight face and having people take it seriously <laughs> is a big deal. 4% GDP growth cures a lot of ills. Yeah, you got a great point there. Well, if you just tuned in, of course, I'm talking with my frequent uh, co-host here, Keith Quinn, and Tommy Armstrong, CPA CFP from the office. And these guys are talking about basically year-end tax planning and what do we have to look forward to next year. But when we finish this program, we're going to give you a couple of things of caution. Because you cannot get caught up in the news media and all the emotions that go along with President-elect Trump. So stay with us when we come back. More of Talk Money on KWAM 990. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax and or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax and or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax and or legal situation. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Keith Quinn and Tommy Armstrong. We're talking about year-end tax planning. And one of the biggest things we've discussed was we said simply, basically, do some planning. That's key. Don't just let it happen. I think, Tommy, you laid that out very effectively. And and think about that, folks. This is You can't do this on January the 2nd. It's too late. And And I would also say a lot of times this gets really, really complicated. You need to seek some professional advice. And you need to guide that through. Absolutely. So get with your tax planner now. Call Tommy, 757-5757, whatever. Just pick up the phone. Just, Just don't just let it happen. There are things that you need to be thinking about. And, you know, we talked about capital gains a while ago. So, Tommy, you know, 
I have done this. I know a lot of people do this. You've got a stock, you know, that's that's done well or something, and you say, you know, I don't really want to. I want to make a gift, and I want to make it the most effective way of doing that. And in fact, I was thinking I was talking about this the other day. We were talking about giving at the end of the year, right? And somebody had given into uh, Ohio State. Now I had to. Oh, I can't believe I said that again. That's twice in two weeks. That they had made a gift to Ohio <laughs> State, and so the reality, you know, they had said, "I've got a stock," and they called and said, "We want to give it to the university." Now. They avoided some things there, Tommy. So walk our listeners through, because I want them to make sure we, it's an appreciated stock. It's They don't want to sell it. Some people sell it and say, well, I'll just give it after I sell it. Never do that. Tell us about it. Well, it, it, it actually, you would would never want to sell a stock and then give the cash to to your charity. The reason, the reason for that is, uh, as we started out with our fundamentals, if you sell that stock and you have a gain, which is good, the IRS is going to get their cut out of that, which is not good. The tax law in its current state allows you to, rather than selling that stock and giving cash to your charity, you can make the arrangements to have that stock at its gain value transferred over to the charity. And not only will you not pay any tax on that gain, uh, the the university or the the charity can then sell that, uh, and and there are no negative tax consequences. Other than the fact there are no negative tax consequences, other than the government does not get any benefit from from the transaction. You can we get an applause for that? You you, know. you you receive a charitable deduction. The government receives nothing and stays out of your transaction. That's I good. like that plan. That's a good plan. I don't know, boys. After the last seven years, I'm ready to give a little more money to the IRS. <laughs> I think it's going to be well spent. I don't necessarily mind paying taxes as much as I have in the past. Okay, can you cut his microphone? <laughs> <laughs> what? He, he's done. <laughs> is this is the irrational optimism, I guess? Uh, but now, guys, here's the thought. I mean, um, I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to do this. I'm going to. I'm going to do it. I, I, you know, I'm going to do it. I know I'm busy. Uh, but just give me, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to get this done. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm busy. It's Christmas, man. I got this party to go to. I got this stuff to go to. I got to get this done. Oh my goodness. I forgot to do it. It's now January the 2nd. That's okay. I can still do it. Request denied. <laughs> there man, you go. a few words. <laughs> yeah, that's know? right. Give me a break. You know, so I can get somebody to say, hey, do this. You know, let me do it. You know, come on. Can I, can I figure it out how to get it done in 2016? You're saying in 2017, 2016, I'm still trying to get it done. I was okay. going to get it done, guys. If the calendar, if the calendar flips over to 2017, you are done for 2016. And the best thing you can do is start your planning for 2017 in a timely manner. You know, I, I, I little tongue in cheek there, but I had a client last year making a substantial gift to a university, University of Tennessee. And, and, uh, in some of the processing and the planning and working with his accountant and all this kind of stuff and with the, the charity. And he needed to get it done last year. No question. That was, that was the plan. And unfortunately we didn't make the mistakes, but boy, it was some mistakes made and it didn't get done. And he wanted to know, Hey, we got all this paperwork finished and everything done, but the gift did not actually take place in 20 back then, 2015. And it rolled to 2016, and I was with him just recently, and he reminded me, you know, I right. mean, it's still a bad taste in his mouth that some people 
just didn't get it done the way they should have gotten it done. And so, but but I want people to realize that if you're going to do something and count it for 2016, you've got to do it in 2016. There's none of this wait till, you know, the first week of January and get a gift made. Regarding charitable gifts, there simply is no bend in the calendar. Yeah, IRS is not in the uh, give me a break kind of business. <laughs> or I made a mistake. Will you let me <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you let me slide on this one? No. What about uh, giving to a family member or just a just a you know a gift on a just a regular gift, not a charitable gift. I mean, okay, not not that, but to the kids. I was talking to people and they're wanting to give those gifts at the end of the year. This is not so much tax planning. It's more like uh, I want to I want to give some money for Christmas and. How much can I give this year? And in fact, in fact, I had a husband and wife, and she felt like, well, let's don't do that. I mean, and he's going, oh, sure, sure. So I told him to go home and, and fight it out and come back and tell me what they were going to do. Not literally. But the reality is, give me the amount, and why would you do that, Tommy? Why would you do that? The, the, the gift tax limit for 2016 uh, is that you can give fourteen thousand dollars to any one person? Uh, if you're if you're a, a a married couple, then you can give a combined gift of twenty gift of twenty eight thousand to any individual. Uh, and where this plays back into our capital gains discussion is that where you have a investment asset that you've held for more than one year that may have a gain or a loss into it, the gain or a loss on that investment can be moved, transferred to the person you are giving the gift to. Now, when you begin to move capital gain or loss assets to other people within the family, you have to watch, you have to watch what you're doing from two perspectives, both the tax law perspective and the gift tax law perspective. So that's why you really need more more heads at the table than just yourself to make sure that, that we keep an eye on each other and watch the various moving parts of the tax code while we move these securities. But the same difference between ordinary rates, uh, ordinary income tax rates and capital gains uh, tax rates apply to moving securities within the family Keep an eye on the gift tax gift tax considerations. Very good. That's that's a critical thought process. Tommy Armstrong, seven five seven five seven five seven. If you've got a question for Tommy, we've been talking about Urian tax planning. Talk money is brought to you in part by the Bailey Law Firm, estate planning, elder law, and probate planning for all generations. That's the Bailey Law Firm. We appreciate what they do for us. When we come back after Mid South History Moment, I'm going to ask Keith Quinn what he's thinking about for 2017. I don't really care, but I want to know. So, Keith, stay prepared, man. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, may be worth more or less than when originally invested. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. The winter of 1811-1812 proved to be a tumultuous time in the Mid-South in more ways than one. From the middle of December to the beginning of February, the Missouri Boot Hill was struck violently by a series of powerful earthquakes along the new Madrid Fault. With an affected area of over 1 million square miles, these were the most powerful earthquakes to hit the eastern United States in history, including the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, 
which covered only 6,200 square miles. The town of New Madrid itself was destroyed. The Mississippi River flowed backwards for 24 hours, forming Real Foot Lake, and as far away as Boston and Toronto, the shaking was intense enough to cause the church bells to ring and chimneys to fall over in Maine. At the request of Governor William Clark, federal disaster relief was granted by the government for the first time. Had those earthquakes occurred today, they could have caused one of the greatest economic disasters in the history of the United States. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. You know, I said before the break that I really, really don't care what you think about 2017. But right. you know that's not true. I mean, well, you know. Uh, <laughs> I do. I do. Because uh, as most of you know, Keith Quinn's the director of our investment group and uh, handles all that, handles the committee, makes all those decisions and does a wonderful job for us. And, uh, you know, Keith, I enjoy having you on the program because I can always know that you and I, you, you just you just really have got some great insight. And Well, thank you. For us. It, you know, uh, I appreciate the amount of work you do and appreciate the fact that you are involved in, in, in what's going on politically. So I do have that question. And, and the reason why we have someone that has sent us talk money, shoemakerfinancial.com. By the right. way, anybody that's got a question for either one of these guys or any type of question you want answered, simply send it to talk money at shoemakerfinancial.com and we'll get it on the air. We'll do that in just a minute. But but Keith, there's a lot of appointees, you know, that, that he's looking at and and it seems to us that, as you said earlier, there's three or four things. He said he's going to change the tax right. law. He's going to stimulate the more with fiscal spending, which is infrastructure. He's going to remove some of the regulations. And those are fundamentals. That's economics 101. Absolutely. You do that, and it does normally. So if this heating up the economy, what's the what's the potential for that in your thoughts? And what do you say to the client? Right. So I think there is a, a very much a potential that the economy starts to heat up. But that's also a little bit of a concern because yeah. now I think I know what's going to cause the next recession. Uh, we haven't really talked about it yet. I just kind of heard this on a conference call yesterday. But more than likely, we've seen some periods in the past when the Fed has absolutely caused a recession by yeah. raising rates too fast, too fast as the economy starts to heat up, as yeah, you just we said. We saw that out of 2000. Absolutely. So I think that's, you know, one of our risks in, in that kind of looking out into the future. But that's several years away. Uh, you know, we still expect a rate hike next week by the Federal Reserve. But then we look internationally and we still see quantitative easing. The European Central Bank uh, just came out and exp uh, extended their quantitative easing program. It was set to expire in March of 2017. They've now extended it through the end of the year. But they're going to be scaling it back in April of next year. They're going from buying 80 billion euros a month down to 60 billion euros a month. But that's still massive quantitative easing when we're starting to tighten, starting I mean, to raise rates. We're starting to raise rates. We're starting to see us. You know, again, prior to the election, I, I think the, the kind of the thought, the, the, the percentage of people thinking, yeah, we're going to raise rates was like 62 percent. It's totally <laughs> changed since the election. And the one big thing that, you know, we haven't really talked about, obviously, the equity markets are doing great. I just looked at the, the latest headline on CNBC. NASDAQ sets new all-time high on track for sharp weekly gains as post-election surge, surge continues, yeah. you know, so the surge. But interest rates have ticked up a lot, and that is an absolute headwind. For bonds, and, uh, and we've talked about that. Or ninety-six percent now say she will raise rates right next two weeks or next week. So right, I think that's that's pretty much priced in. But remember, we're talking about one quarter of one percent on the overnight lending rate. The ten-year Treasury 
set an all-time low in June. Uh, it closed at 136. That was the lowest it's ever closed on. As of this morning, we've gone from 136 to 242. That is a percentage point move in the 10-year Treasury yield. That's a big deal because it impacts the bonds. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of investors that are in retirement own these fixed income products, these bonds, and it's a headwind for the bond prices. Well, the question that, that we've got this morning, several questions, but this is one I really want to dive into. The others we're going to take care of later. But here, here's the question. I watched this surge, okay, right? Post-election Trump bump, the, the surge, yes, Whatever yeah, surge. the Trump, I, the Trump, Trump bump, bump. I like that, yeah. <laughs> Whatever you call it, but the reality is, um, <clears throat> they're saying, and then the question was, if that's pushing things up, why would a portfolio of diversification not right. be also moving up? Uh, and I think that's a legitimate question because absolutely they're they're looking at one thing and they're also looking at two different. There's not apples and apples; it's apples and oranges. But help people understand that because I thought it was a great question. I appreciate someone sending it to talk money at shoemakerfinancial dot com and just letting us know. But what's your thoughts? Well, I think it's a great question, and it's one of the things, one of the fundamentals that we always think about. So if you have a portfolio and it hasn't participated, as you said, in the in the surge since the election, well, number one, it's basically only been a month, so mm-hmm. it's really hard to interpret what's going on in the market in that short of a time period. But number two, as we said, interest rates have moved up. So if you have what we would consider a diversified, well-allocated portfolio, and let's just say you have 60% stocks and 40% bonds, well, if your 40% bonds are invested in U.S. uh, bonds, they have gone down since yeah. the since the election because interest rates are gone. But not dramatically. flat or they're or down. just down or, a yeah. little Yeah, and right. I think they're, they're pretty consistently down across the board. Now, the other misconception... The market is up. You know, the S&P 500 is up. You just read the you just uh, just, read it. You're right. Yeah. Setting NASDAQ, new all-time highs. New all-time high. right. right. But not every sector in the market is up and not every company in every sector. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. Right. You say sector. Okay, immediately I'm thinking, all right, I know what that means. But to our average listener, that might be a little confusing. So help sure. us understand that. And then talk about when you say companies, because I know financials, you know, we look at one thing. Healthcare, we look at something totally else. different, so and that's it? one of the things I would have said. One of the sectors that has done the best since the election has been financials, has been the banks, and and the reason. Well, the reason being that there's the idea that there's going to be less regulatory burdens that they have to comply with. Some of the provisions in Dodd Frank could potentially be modified or repealed. Interest rates are going up, which means profits would be going up for the banks. So that's another positive for the banks. And you see the rotation in the market. Some of the things that have been under a little bit of pressure have been some of the companies in the healthcare sector. Because now you have to decide, you know, what impact is reforming the Affordable Care Act going to have? And how does that even play out? So does that help the insurance companies? And then Donald Trump tweeted something about drug prices, which we all realize is an issue. But as soon as anything comes out like that, the pharmaceutical companies go down. It's the uncertainty with regulation that could potentially impact these sectors. So not every sector has participated in this rally, uh, and that's where you see the benefit of coming in and owning individual companies. So let's talk about Mr. Trump and his tweets. We saw that with Boeing. Right. I mean, reality, I mean, he— He talked about the the, the, uh, uh, the whole process to replace Air Force One being north of $4 billion, and he's right. That is outrageous. It's okay to make some money, but not that much money. Not that much money. And, of course, we saw that affect Boeing stock almost immediately. Almost immediately, sure. Are we in a situation where some things are going to do okay with him and some may, you know, according to his tweets in the morning? I'm hoping he doesn't continue that, to be very candid with you. I don't need the president to set the market every morning. 
Uh, yeah, I do not need to wake up Sunday morning and see that the president-elect has tweeted something about Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that's really relevant to what we're trying to focus on here. I agree. Um, but I agree with you, and, and I think we're, uh, some of us are a little bit concerned about picking individual companies. We don't think the government should be in the position of picking winners and losers. Exactly. Uh, so you shouldn't necessarily single out a Boeing uh, or a carrier you know, with the deal that, that Governor Mike Pence made for, for carrier to keep about 750 or 800 jobs in Indiana. You know, I think you, you address the economy by addressing the overall structure of the tax code, of the regulatory uh, code, but I don't like the idea of, of the government picking winners and losers, but I love the idea idea of Donald Trump following through on his campaign promise to try and keep workers in the U.S. Yes, that's that's critical right there. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker, along with Tommy Armstrong, Keith Quinn, and we're talking about year-end tax planning. We've kind of covered that subject. We'll come back to it in a few minutes. And what does it look like in 2017 with Mr. Trump and uh, some of his projected changes in how we do business. I mean, looks good. It looks, <laughs> it looks good. All right. We'll be back because uh, we've got to take a break. And when we do, we're going to come back and give you some insights and some things you just don't do. Don't do what we're going to talk about when we come back. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time. It is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes Store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. You know, guys, we were talking about a little bit about the economy and Mr. Trump and uh, President-elect Trump. And the reality is that, I mean, I know there's a lot of things that are going on. But, but here's a thought for you. The S&P, you were, you were mentioning the, the right. NASDAQ a while ago. The S&P has gained 3.7% total return in November, this November 2016. And that's the second best monthly performance of this year uh, behind March. Now, right. keeping in my, mind that January and February, all we did in January and February was drop, 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 drop. So March... You know, it was a good growth, but November. Now, here's the key: November's the best November since 2009. That's a big statement because 2009 was phenomenal, was as we phenomenal. know. After March of 2009, I mean, you know, yeah. you look at March of 2009. You look at what was coming out of the 2008 recession. We were still, we had just moved, and now they declared that we were out of the recession. And 2009 was tremendous as far. And this is better than that. I mean, best November since 2009. And remember, the March of this year was after, as you said, January and February, and they weren't just weak. They were the worst first, first. six weeks ever, and that was the headline for yeah. six weeks. Yeah. Uh, and it looked really, it was doom and gloom, down I, 11%. I've got a question for you, because, uh, and I want both of you to kind of weigh in on this. The EPA nominee is Mr. Scott Pruitt. Now, guys, the United States imported 30% of its energy consum- you know, that was consumed. We in- imported it in 2006, 30%. Right. And I understand that. I mean, you know, we were trying to make some changes. And our dependency has dropped to just 12% in 2016. And basically, I mean, they're now telling us by 2020, if we energy stay on track, we're in- energy independent. And I want two thoughts for you. We just went through this thing last week with the North Dakota, and I've read a lot about that since then, and and there's a lot in there. You know, you wanted the media reported it one way, right? And, and I mean, it was you know you had your heart kind of pulled out. They were cold. They were in their teepees. I totally get that. But you dive into the regulations, the violations of all that. It was a nightmare. 
And it I, really is. Yeah, and so I'm looking at it. I want to hear. I want you to kind of give me weigh in on this, Keith, because it, we're talking about a great November. We're talking about energy independence and an EPA guy, Mr. Scott Pruitt. It, it is so funny that we're going to have the the nominee to head the EPA is actually suing the EPA, uh, and he's very much, uh, you know, again, I think uh, <laughs> that uh, could put a lot of people uh, in trouble <laughs> I mean, if he, he gets approved. If he gets if he gets appointed, there, and this is going to be one of the ones where I think we probably will see a fight. But I'm not sure that there's a whole lot you can do. You'd have to get some of the Republicans to defect in the Senate for him right. not to get confirmed. Uh, but he is very pro energy, uh, and that is something that we see again from the regulatory reform, the restrictions on where we can drill. And look for oil if we lift some of these things not to harm the environment and that's what people think that you know somehow a pipeline would would harm the environment a pipeline is by far the most environmentally friendly Friendly. way to transport oil and gas yeah so i guess what we're looking at again you said it before the break. You are optimistic for 2017. I am optimistic. And, and again, that is just based on a lot of unknowns. But I don't see uh, how we could fail to get some of this stuff done and done fairly quickly. And I do think, you know, fiscal policy uh, could have a huge impact. So I am I am pretty optimistic for 2017. Deregulation. And we were fairly optimistic to begin with, because as we said, you know, we had been in the earnings recession and we talked about a lot on the show where we'd had negative earnings growth uh, in the equity markets for, you know, five uh, quarters in a row, which was kind of unprecedented. But now we've seen positive earnings growth and we expect that to sell- accelerate in 2017. And the good part about that, that was regardless of who was elected. Exactly. That and that has nothing to do, to do with Donald with Trump, the, right? With Donald Trump. So, the, so we were seeing some things grinding into We were already seeing it improve. Yes. All right. Let me ask you, both of you guess, and Tommy, I'll start with you. One of the biggest thoughts when we get into investing, we make some don't do's. We have some don't do's. And one of those things is, you know, when we get, well, just start with one. I mean, I'm thinking right now, just following what everybody, the herd. I mean, I've got a guy in here that's optimistic. Well, all of a sudden, if we all become optimistic, how do you manage following the herd? Well, my answer has been and always will be stick to the plan. We've, we, we have worked, we work with individual, we work with individual investors managing their wealth on a unique individualized financial plan that has nothing to do with the herd. Is it good? If it's a good plan for them in the one year, five year, 10 year period, stick to the plan that was been developed for you. Okay. I get that. So be disciplined. All right. If we look at that, I want you to quickly tell me, Keith, one of the biggest issues is listening to the media right. and get caught in the emotions. We'll get caught up in the emotions. And one of the things that we're going to see now, and it's just inevitable, is when we have these kind of uh, returns, financials, uh, don't don't uh, get uh, too greedy. Don't put all of your money into financials just because financials have had a great run since the election. You know, that is so critical because I had a person to send me an email recently. This was not one I thought we'd do, but I guess we will. The reality was... Hey, I want to do this. I want to think about this. This is what I'm thinking about doing. And he's changing his plan. Changing the portfolio. If your time horizon hasn't changed, your goals haven't changed, you don't change your allocation. Well, guys, thanks so much. Great job, Tommy. Great job, Keith. Our pleasure. We enjoyed it. You know, this is a great thing. And uh, appreciate you. Appreciate you very much for being on part of the program. Of course, you know, you've been listening to Talk Money. Keith Quinn, Tommy Armstrong, producer and board operator Gil Worth does a great job. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner, production assistant, Eleanor Moscovich, Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier. And written by Drew Johnson, I'm Jim Shoemaker, your host. It's been a pleasure to be with you today, and I hope you're with us next week here on KWAM Talk Money, helping you 
Make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, and Tommy Armstrong are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.